will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome, Leverage Addicts. Welcome to another episode where we're going to show you the insider knowledge to property investing. And today we have a special guest, Simon Paris, the General Manager of Investor Relations and Wealth of Erskine & Owen, a company that helps clients build wealth through property investing. So very much aligned with what we're doing. And today we want to specifically focus on their syndication business arm, where they help clients get into commercial properties. And they currently have over 190 million under management and we want to learn how all that works and Simon himself have been in the banking and finance industry for over 20 years so he's got a lot of experience to share with us he's going to shed some light on how syndication works today so I want to welcome you to the show Simon thanks for having me Landon really appreciate it awesome awesome today what we want to do again is to dive into property syndication how it works and so our listeners can see how they can maybe potentially apply it on themselves or even go you know what? I don't want to do it myself. I want to maybe outsource it. I want to just give you the money. How can I get involved? But before we, we do that, I thought it'd be really cool. You know, we just had lunch and uh, had, had a beer. You know, I found out a lot about Simon. So you got a quite interesting journey yourself in the banking sector. So maybe, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Blendon. Yeah, I've had a very rich experience and history in banking. So I started off as a head teller in my early 20s, and I really was eager to move my way up through that through the banking industry. So I worked as a property finance analyst. I worked in business banking, institutional banking, private banking, and I really enjoyed my time within the banks. But it got to a point where I was tired of saying no all the time to customers that I knew really had great ideas and great plans for their wealth investment. And I got acquired by a non-bank facilitator. And it really opened my eyes up to that there is more in the industry than just main banks. So the second tier, for those that don't know, is the alternative to banking, where we take a far more pragmatic approach to looking at transactions, where people may not tick all the boxes that the bank required, although they had some very good mitigations in there. It became a, very much of a computer says no type situation. And I, I spent a number of years and they're helping great people just realize their investment goals. Post-COVID, I decided that uh, I wanted to become a mortgage advisor myself. And I went out into the industry focusing on that non-bank second tier market again, but really focused on development finance and learned a lot. And then this opportunity came up to, to join Erskine Owen. And I really found that going coming into commercial syndication was, was something that was really of interest to me. And I've always been interested interested in commercial property myself. And I saw it as a great avenue to, again, helping people build wealth by allowing them access to something that they may not usually be able to get access to. And here we are today. That's awesome. And for you guys out there just listening, you know, what does pers bank teller, personal banker to institutional banking mean? The guy's got a growth mindset. For someone to actually grow from a bank teller to institutional, it takes a lot, right? It's not an easy job to just climb that banking 
banking ladder and then for him to go, you know what, I've already established myself in the banking sector and go boom, straight into second tier lending and then to do development funding. Like this, like this guy, if you don't know, this guy's got really strong growth mindset. And that's what we want, especially when we're trying to share knowledge about property investing. Now, just to familiarize ourselves with the concept of syndication, like, you know, we've threw that word around a few times now. Maybe you can tell us a bit about what is that? When does an investor start thinking about this? Yeah, sure. To think about syndication in the most simplest manner, it's a group of investors that come together that want to invest in a property where generally they may not have the capital to do it themselves. They may not want to manage that property themselves. However, if you can get a group of people together, you then have the ability to move forward and purchase that and then share in the returns, share in the capital gain. And especially with syndications is that they're always managed by the general partner. So you don't have to worry about tenancies or repairs or anything like that. It's very much invest, sit back and forget. And what we sort of focus on is providing a return to investors, you know, a monthly return and investors get to share in capital gains if they're achieved. It's just ability to get into commercial where, sorry, commercial property where you may not have ever been able to do that by yourself. When we look at commercial, you know, there's a lot of competition if you wanted to go buy one yourself. There's a lot of competition in that one to five million dollar purchase price. And that's typically where most people play when they're trying to do it themselves. And what happens is that the yield when you purchase it just gets more and more squeezed. Whereas if you're in a syndicate and you're going for a larger asset, maybe 15, 20, 30 million dollars, there's a lot more opportunity there and there's opportunity for more growth as well. In a way, it's kind of like a joint venture and you are looking at much bigger deals. And because you're looking at much bigger deals, there are less competition, there's much easier way potentially for you to find higher returns as well. Maybe you can give us an example because obviously this is what you guys do well in. Sure. And maybe you guys can go over a couple of deals that you guys have done or yeah, how does the return look like? Yeah, walk us through. Okay. Well, it's probably a prudent time because we've just released one right now. So I'll, I'll talk about that. So it's a retail hub at Amberley, which is about 40 minutes north of Christchurch. So it's one of those areas in Canterbury that is really, really growing. It's got strong growth there. And it's called Brackenfields. So the Brackenfield syndicate has got a countdown as the anchor tenant, and it's got 15 specialty shops around the side. What made that attractive to us is that, firstly, Countdown is the kind of tenant that you want as a stable anchor in there. They're a big brand. They are very well known. So people know and understand tenant. With the 15 specialty shops around the side, you've got a version of risk mitigation because you've got more than one tenant that is paying rental uh, leases to you. What we really like about Amberley, which is the township, is that it's going through incredible growth at the moment. In fact, there's, there's been articles in the Christchurch paper recently that's talked Talking about the growth that I think there's about 3,000 people around there at the moment, but there's a huge number of subdivisions going on. There's a large rest home, there's a golf course, and all predictions are showing that population is going to grow. And what does that mean for us? Well, Countdown is the only supermarket in the entire town. So if you wanted to go to another supermarket, it's uh, 25Ks south or 120Ks north. It's a very, what, almost what you say, a captive market. And the other interesting thing that we realized is that the turnover growth growth of uh, that countdown site has been going up 
and up and up year on year. So it shows us that there's there's real stability there as well. We acquired it at a fantastic price. We purchased it at a cap rate of just over 9%. What that means in simple terms is that we can offer a projected return to investors of 8% per annum, which is a fantastic return, especially in the market where we've got high interest rates and inflation and you know all these other things that are going on at the moment. But what it does is it allows people to invest in an asset. I mean, that, that's worth $15.5 million. I wanted to just jump in there because you, you said, okay, you bought at a cap rate of 9% and then you're giving 8% to the investor, right? Where's the extra return going? Is it in the price? Do you resell it at a higher price or do you like hold back some return? What, what's happening with the extra margin? Sure. Well, within a syndicate, there is uh, there's obviously uh, costs and fees involved to become part of it. Not as an investor, but to run the whole operation. So, you know, you've got to have property management. There's also, you know, fees for establishing the syndicate, the performance of the ongoing syndicate. And also you want to have a working capital facility in there as well in case there are situations that may require some some funds to be uh, pulled into that syndicate to make sure that uh, the asset itself is still running smoothly. Cool, cool. So essentially there are costs involved with running the syndicate. So that's why potentially if you buy at a higher return, it might get slightly lower when it goes to the investor. But my understanding, like I just want to maybe if you can clarify for me as well, was like if you bought the property at a very good price, is that the price that the investor would buy in as well? Or how does that sort of work? Yeah, sure. We are well known amongst real estate agents. So we get opportunities brought to us, you know, sometimes they're off market, sometimes uh, they're what you call our back pocket listings, etc. And what we do is we do a lot of due diligence. That's one of the benefits of being part of a syndicate is that all that due diligence is done for you. And it's not insignificant. You know, when you look at commercial versus residential, it's night and day. There is a lot that you have to be aware of. There's a lot you have to really dig down to ensure that you're making the right financial decision. And that's what we specialize in, right? So that is one of the benefits of being part of a syndicate. When we issue these to these opportunities to investors, we provide an information memorandum or what you'd call a, um, a PDS. And that outlines all of our due diligence, essentially, the breakdown of uh, the asset itself and the pros and cons, the risks involved in such an acquisition. And it provides a really clear and concise summary to investors so that they can make an informed decision. That's really awesome. And I always talk about this with my clients as well. Is like, why would you pay someone to find a property and do all the due diligence? Well, first of all, most of us don't have the time. Second of all, we don't have the experience. And if we can pay a finder and still get the return that we're expecting, it just makes a lot of sense because you're getting someone who's really, really experienced. You're basically in a partnership with them. But in this situation, you are actually partnering up on the money as well. Like your syndication fund would be, you guys would have your own money in there and they would buy in at the same price that you guys are buying and you guys are trying to be as transparent as possible in terms of what the deal entails. Absolutely. I mean, when we find these properties, it's, it's really exciting because it's great to find a really fantastic investment opportunity that where is it? We're excited about and we know that our investors will be excited as well. So that's why you know we typically uh, participate in our, in our own syndications because we believe in them. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to maybe just walk through that deal finding process as well, because we talked about 
how a deal is structured, potentially like a, a live one that you guys have. And you talk about like, hey, countdown, growth trajectory. That's probably a bit of indication on how you guys find uh, properties. Mm. But maybe if you walk me through like a simple process that you guys have or, or criteria that you guys try to aim for? Okay. Generally, it's 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 a way up of a few key factors. So you want to look at the WALT, which is the weighted average lease term. So what that is, is let's say you've got 10 different tenants. You want to find out what the average lease term across them all is to ensure that there's a good runway there. The other aspect you want to look at is what return can you give to investors? Because you want to make it as attractive as possible. You want to sort of have have a, a number in mind that you think is a worthwhile investment to, to make that decision. Another aspect of it is a really important one is, again, the tenant. What is the stability of the tenants within that commercial building? If you've got a New Zealand listed company or a large global brand, it's going to provide you a lot more comfort than perhaps a, a very small individual retailer or something of that nature. Another aspect that comes into it is location. When I was talking about Amberley, what we really liked is about the growth potential in there as well. Some people are very specific on locations. Some like, I only invest in Auckland. Great, go for Auckland. Whereas others are more interested in potentially a return. And what we experience is that when you go outside of the main centers, the returns tend to become higher. But what that sort of plays into is where you want to fall on the risk matrix. Some people may be very risk adverse. So they might choose a very large tenant that has a very long lease term, but the return might be significantly less. But they're happy with that and provides them comfort. Whereas someone else might be willing to take perceived higher risk by going into, into an asset that has a shorter uh, lease term in a more regional area. So it comes down to investors' risk appetite and, and what they're, they're willing to participate in. That's awesome. And so let's say we walk through a investor's journey, right? Maybe someone who's been in residential for a while and they're like, okay, I want to do commercial. Like at what stage should they be thinking about syndication? Like what does your typical, you know, client profile look like? Yeah, sure. A typical client profile is someone that has been, that has an investment portfolio already. They may have investment properties, a home, maybe even some small commercial properties themselves. But what they're looking for is a low maintenance investment product that gives them a good return, they can set and forget, and it gives them a, a form of diversification. And the diversification could be via the asset class. And what I mean by that is, okay, I've got all these residential properties, but I'm all in residential. I might be all in residential Auckland. That could be a concentration risk for them. So they go, okay, well, maybe we would like to go into some commercial property and maybe outside of Auckland. A lot of the decision-making comes down to a person's age stage and journey on their wealth cycle. And I would say that, you know, a large majority of our investors have probably, you know, a good decade or two of experience and they may, may be retiring or in a very much of a growth phase within their investment journey and just looking for a regular return with the opportunity to have some capital growth when the syndication ends. And again, just looking for that diversification. Yeah. I was really interested when you talked about this Queenstown one. 
you know, that you guys had when we had our lunch. I thought it would be really good. Like, let's say if I had $500,000, okay, like what would my typical returns look like? Maybe that was an outlier. Let's say if we were to invest my 500000 in a typical, like the average investment, what sort of cash flow am I getting? What sort of capital gains could I expect? Uh, it's, it's a very broad question. Again, I step back to the risk return model. Just looking from a broad market basis of syndications that are out there at the moment, you could be looking from, say, 6 to 10% gross return. Capital gain is very broad because as you know, it's very specific on uh, location, demand, rental return. So again, it's, it's a tough one to say, but you could be looking at 10 to 20% on a good investment that's sort of uh, sort of growing over time. And is that because like 10 to 20% because that's above like the average capital gains, how does leverage play into it? Like there's some lending in, in the deal as well? I think what you're coming to is that some syndications get banked debt and some don't. Now there's there's different benefits to that. So if I look at us, for example, we tend to get bank debt in place and we don't leverage it incredibly high. I'm, I'm talking maybe 40% is generally our target. But what that allows is that when investors come into that syndication, they get to share more of that potential capital gain over time because obviously the bank's not asking for it. They're getting their interest rate return. So that's one advantage. Of course, on if you look on the other side, some preferred have no leverage at all. And the typical reason for that, in this, especially in this current environment, is that if interest rates you know, going up steady like we've seen in the last few years, the overall interest cost starts eroding the return to the investors because perhaps they entered when the, the debt was maybe, I don't know, what was it, how low did it get? Like 2.5%? Oh man, I think at one point I was on like 2.09, giving up yeah. 2.09%. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, historical lows. Now we're in the sevens. That's quite a shift and that comes straight out of the bottom line. And if you were getting 8% back then, that may have eroded now purely just based on, on the cost of interest. That's really good. I'm aggregate return is... I mean, easily 15 plus if it's like you add the return on the, on the, the, the net uh, yield. On the yield, yeah. Um, and then also you've got the capital gains. I mean, is there some basic principle that you try to stick with in terms of like projecting, okay, this is a solid property that we can invest in that we know we are you know, going to get some get decent capital gains out of? Well, when we look at property, we're always looking on how can we add value. Adding value is incredibly important. Now, there's many different ways you can add value. It's It could be a simple as renegotiating lease terms when they come up, as well as repositioning assets. What I mean by that is maybe potentially you've got an asset that has been a gym, for example, but it may not be the highest and best use for that building in that current location. Let's say it could be better as a warehouse or a commercial unit of some sort. And if you can get a higher per square meter rental on that from repositioning what's in there, then you know go for it. When I look at say, for example, again, going back to the, the, the site in Amberley, there's a thousand square meters of vacant land. Now that's ripe for, for some future development. What that will be, time will tell. However, if we can you know, communicate with the community and ask them, what do they need? What do they want? And if we can bring that into the community, that doesn't only provide intrinsic value to the community, but it can provide value to the asset as well. So that, that's just a few examples of how you can get you know, value uplift in an asset. That's really awesome. I guess you can't really do as much of that in residential. Even you're like, okay, what kind of houses do they need around here? You've got 800 square meter land. You can maybe put a few more houses. Mm. But if you 
own a massive commercial complex, you could potentially put shops that you know the community really needs and that they will really change the game. That's awesome. And I, I guess maybe touch on risk as well, because obviously, I mean, we talk to our clients, like one of the biggest struggles, right? Like once you uh, establish as a property investor, you've had properties for several years, you built up the equity, usually it might be like one, two, three million, anywhere around there. And that's very typical. And they're like, okay, well, I've had the cap gains. I don't, abbreviating just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not getting as much rent growth. So they're not really getting as much cash flow as they should on the amount of equity that's invested. So now they start looking for cash flow. And even if they put back into residential, a lot of the time they don't really want to go back into that phase of like, okay, I have to manage the tenants, have to manage like the maintenance and everything. And so they want a more hands-off approach. And obviously syndication is one way to solve that. But I guess it's like, well, what's the risk of you know putting your money in, in a syndication fund? Yeah. I mean, there's always risks involved. I guess one thing you need to think about with syndications generally is that they're relatively illiquid. What I mean by that is that if you come into a syndication and you decide that you want to leave and get back that money, it may take time. And if you compare that to, say, um, the share market where you could just sell it right then and there and it's done, dusted, syndication may be a far longer process. It could be weeks, could be months. You need to be fully aware of that. Another risk is 10 Tenants can default, tenants can leave, and if the tenant's not there, then there is no income, and if there's no income, that's going to affect the return to the investor, that's for sure another risk that needs to be to be well thought out as part of an investor's due diligence. Another aspect is that the minimum investment amount is for syndications can be higher than other financial products. For wholesale investors, generally the minimum is 50, maybe 100,000 plus. So that's one thing, you know, people that may only have that amount themselves in their account, they may not want to put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. The other sort of risk is that investors, if they've historically had a lot of control over their investment, like a landlord, they're very much control, whereas a syndicate is very much controlled by the general partner. I got to add though, like if you're a landlord, you're not an investor. You can only be one or the other because, yeah. you know, you start being a landlord, the mindset is different to mm -hmm. someone who's an investor. I always share that with the clients. You know, if you're an investor, you should be thinking on paper, right? Mm -hmm. How does the numbers work? If you're a landlord, you're like, start micromanaging everything, right? So very important guys, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Another risk is that you may not get your capital back, or it might be at a reduced rate. These are all factors that you need to really consider. And, you know, you want to have run it past, you know, a financial advisor, a, a solicitor or an accountant that has that financial knowledge to guide you through that process. Yeah, I think that's another important aspect of it as well. That's so good. And so we talked about what syndication is. We talked about a couple of deal examples. We talked about, you know, why a deal would work, some risk involved, thought it would be really good. Tell us more about Erskine and Orwin. What should we be asking like someone who's running a syndicate like you guys and what makes you guys different? Sure. Well, Erskine, Erskine Owen's been been around since around 2000 and 2008. What sort of makes us a bit different is that we provide a one-stop shop. And what I mean by that is that we can come into an investor's life in the very early stages. Maybe they're just buying their first property even, but they want to have a pathway to the future, pathway to wealth, generational wealth. And we can guide those investors through that process, create a financial plan for a future for them. And then, you know, 
know, as they, they mature, they may want to, when I say mature, I mean mature in their investment journey. They may want to start diversifying. And that's where I suppose our syndication comes in. And of course, we, we handle property management for, for a lot of our clients and of course, for all our commercial syndication properties. So it's, it's very much a one-stop shop. And I, I think that that builds a really strong relationship with clients. They get to know us and we get to know them. And we're all about being very customer-centric, customer-focused. And we just love watching people go on on that journey and just seeing the success. Now, that's really awesome, Simon. And are there questions that I didn't ask you today that you feel like you know the audience needs to know? No, I, I, th- I think we've actually covered off it really well. I guess, you know, the key points is, you know, if you want to come into, look into commercial syndication, do your homework, talk to your trusted advisors, you know, like yourself, like like your accountant, and just look around, see w- where you fit within that risk profile and- Do it. it just do it, you know, <laughs> ask lots of questions. Yeah, um, that's know, good. If, just, I just can't employ people enough. If you're not sure, just ask the questions because we're here to help that, right? So, but hey, mate, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for sharing your wealth of knowledge about property and syndication today, Simon. And so for the listeners out there, if you found value, all I ask for is one simple favor, and that is to share this video or podcast with one person that you think is going to find value from it. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys again.